Ah, uh, Craig, it's good to hear your voice. Yeah, likewise. It's been a while since we talked. Yeah. <sighs> you want to just uh, let's let's just get it out of the way. We got to talk about this uh, Trump tech tech summit. Because here's the thing. Oh man, well, uh, you know, you know yeah, what? This knew, is one of those knew, things. If I knew you were going to lead off with this, I would have, you know, started my holiday party. <laughs> <laughs> here's the thing. Even as I'm not really shying away from writing about politics on Daring Fireball, even if I decided that if I had chosen differently and said, you know what, I'm not, you know, whatever my feelings are, I'm going to make this a, a politics-free site. Even even in this, here's a, here's an intersection of of the Trump administration, or incoming Trump administration, and the stuff that I do write about. That it, you know, it would be criminal not to to mention it. So what happened? I don't know. For anybody who had their head in the sand, Trump had, and his buddy Peter Thiel uh, put together a, a summit of. Uh, they invited. They only invited ten people. Uh, I think there were like fourteen people from. Trump's immediate family and his right. <laughs> transition team yeah. in attendance, yeah. and ten leaders of of the U.S. tech industry uh, who were in attendance. I think it was uh, Tim Cook from Apple who had a, a primo seat, uh, two away from Trump. You know the seating. You know, I don't know if you looked at the seating chart. It was clearly very, very uh, political. It was thought out. Yeah, right. it was thought out. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, you don't you don't just say, "Oh, hey, why don't you three kids sit over here?" Right? It's like <laughs> the, that that end of the table was like the you know the, the kids' table at you know Thanksgiving, right? <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the, the the thing that got me was that that picture of of uh, of Tim Cook, right? Just just <laughs> the look on his face. I mean, I, I try not to read into pictures too much. I mean, you, we've all done, you know, we, you know, you're watching a video or whatever, right. and you know, you pause, and it's like the person's making that face, which is like, what the heck, you know, because it, you know, doesn't fit into the the story that's going on, or that they're just making some funny face, right? But I look at that picture of Tim Cook, and that is the expression I think I would have if I was at that meeting, right? Just like ashen, kind of. What the hell is going on here? Somebody, do you do you watch the HBO show, the Larry David show, uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm? Because <laughs> the show, for anybody who doesn't watch the show, usually ends. Uh, it's a very it, the show is incredibly awkward. It's about it's nothing about other than about creating awkward situations and then a typical right. episode ends in a horribly awkward situation with a freeze frame and then this funny music comes up. Yeah. That's all that was missing is that funny music. <laughs> uh, there's another thing too where I'm always hesitant to, uh, especially coming out of uh, a political election, whether it's national or local, there's obviously, there's it it's, and it's only gotten worse because I think I think because our politics have gotten so much more partisan, and the fact that there are so many more photographs taken because digital cameras. If you ever watch at these press conferences, it it really almost sounds like a, a, not a war zone, but it almost where where the the pro photographers and the the journalists have these SLRs, digital SLRs, and they just they just hold the the, the shutter down and they just keep right. they just keep shooting you know uh, six to eight frames per second every second nonstop because the 
cards, that, you know. Uh, yeah, that, that's what I was saying about, you know, it, it's really easy these days to cherry pick an image, right? To, to right. find the one where Tim Cook is making that face because, you, you know, you've shot a thousand right. frames. You know, and like, I don't think so, that's the case, though, right? And so no, in, in election no, no, ads, that's... in election ads, you are, it, both sides do it. It's This is, here's one where it's not really a partisan thing, but they tend to find an unflattering photo of the opponent to, to put in the ad if it's an attack ad. And a lot of times, I think it's very obvious that you can tell that it's just one of those, like, everybody knows it, like, when you're going through your family photos and you say, like, you know, oh, you know, look at that sunset. Here, you guys stand right there. I'll take a couple photos. And, like, the middle one, you know, somebody, you know, one of the subjects in your family just looks horrible. Just absolutely, yeah. like... The, the classic mid-blink, right? Right. You know, it's like, you, you, you look like you've been smoking bongs all day because your right. eyes are, you know, halfway shut. And it's like... Right. You know, or, just, just or, like, right you know, like the... The person was, you know, they know that you're taking a couple of photos and they were trying to hold their eyes open for the first one. And then it just feels like there's something in there. So they make like a weird blink to like cl clear their eyes, hopefully before yeah. you shoot the next shutter. But in fact, it's mid shutter and they just look nutso. I don't yeah. think that's Tim Cook in this scenario. It looks to me no. <laughs> like that. No. Was, that was like I said, that, that, that's, that, that, you know, that is how I would feel in that situation. I don't, you know, it's like, uh, and it, it's, it's, you know, Ben Thompson made a good thing in his a good point in his newsletter and that that really struck me was that Trump is saying, you know, oh, we want to help you all. Well, there's a flip side to that, right? What happens if he does not want to help you? Right? He he's 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 already I mean, the what is it, last week or maybe earlier this week that where he put out that tweet uh about canceling a Lockheed order and mm -hmm. their stock tanked. Yep. And right? the, the week he's, before, he's, he's he's got some power now, and you don't want that power to affect your shareholder value. The week before, he uh, was complaining about an Air Force One order for, or Air Force order for a a, a new Air Force One. You know the right. current the yeah. current Air Force One, uh, and and you know if you're like a this is one of those things that I knew, but I I find fascinating. I, I find Air Force One to be a fascinating thing as like a history geek and a you know just someone who's a. I was about to say I am. I'm a proud American, and I like certain aspects of it. And Air Force One's a cool thing. But one of the things I've always known is that Air Force One is not an airplane, a single airplane. It's actually right. I think there's two of them. Uh, yep. But yep. it's Air Force One is the official designation of the one that's carrying the president. So, right, like if the president of the United States is like sitting in the Oval Office, there is no Air Force One. Right. There are two right. planes that could be Air Force One, but it becomes Air Force One when the president of the United States is on the plane. And then it gets that official designation. And that the two that they have right now were uh, commissioned under the Reagan administration, and I believe George H. W. Bush was the first to fly them. So these are, these planes have been in use for uh, the original George Bush, Bill Clinton, uh, George W. Bush, and uh, Barack Obama, and they will be the the ones that Trump gets. The uh, the the new ones that the Air Force is looking to commission. Uh, would not be ready until either the very, very, very tail end of an eight-year Trump administration. Which, let's face it, whenever you know, if we get eight years of Trump, we ain't gonna, you know, <laughs> there ain't gonna be an Earth. Yeah, well, I don't want to. Uh, or his that. his successor. And anyway, Trump bitched about the cost of these planes, and uh, 
<laughs> and Boeing's stock tanked. You know, not tanked and didn't recover, but he tweets and stocks move. It's a fact. I mean, like we it, in between the joking about it and you know the the partisanship of it. I mean, there's just no denial that when the president of the United States comes out and says he's you know like to cancel uh, the five billion dollar order for Air Force One. Yeah, that's going to have an effect on that company. Yeah, th- 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 I read the other day that that on Bloomberg now the Bloomberg terminals that 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 that, that the market uses to keep track of news has Trump's tweets on it now. They just feed Trump's tweets into the Bloomberg terminals yeah, because, because it's important it, to know about them immediately. It, exactly, it moves the economy. And it's like, uh, what? <laughs> Jesus. So. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, I, let me read from this, because I actually wrote to Ben. You know, Ben's on the show all the time, and he's a friend. Uh, and I told him I thought his take was excellent. It was I filed it under the uh, – I, I wish I had uh, thought of it. But that exactly what you said, that, that the, hey, I'm here to help you folks do well. That's actually an actual quote from him. I'm here to help you folks do well, and we're going to be there for you. Um yeah. It's it's, it, it's a side, massive it's... violation of economic. This is I'm reading from Ben's email. Uh, government ought to be set, <clears throat> setting and enforcing the rules of the game, not actively helping one of the teams. It's a recipe for not just corporateocracy and the inevitable corruption that comes with it. Parentheses. This is where I note that Trump's children attended the meeting. And parentheses. But the closing off of opportunity to the unknown companies that might challenge those large enough to be quote helped this should be of particular concern to the startup ecosystem and i can't say it any better than that i think it's exactly right uh that it's that's you know and again you can say you know there's there's positives and negatives to every system of of government but you know part of the gist of uh a, a democratic um capitalist nation is that the role of government I I I think this is you know again this I don't think this is a, a partisan viewpoint I think it is it's just a statement of fact that kids learn in elementary school the the role of the government is to let, keep a fair level playing field yeah it's all let, about fairness exactly right. it's all about fairness and that's the discussion about diversity too it's about fairness Right. And right. that, you know, protecting the idea that the role of the president is to protect the 10 biggest corporations in tech is the opposite of it, because the whole point is that it's healthy for, for example, you know, like in, uh, if this meeting had been held in 1981, AT&T would have been one of the, would have been the, probably the company, right? Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, and the and, fact and, that they, and, yeah, and it goes against the competition, right? You know, you look at, at right. Apple Maps is getting better because it's competing against, Google Maps and Android is getting better because it's competing against the iPhone, right? It's, 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 that competition and having that competition be fair is what makes it work, right? If somebody comes along and says, you know, well, hey, uh, Tim Cook, you know, he's gay. Hmm. Maybe Google's better, right? Like, what? You're not competing on a fair playing field at that point. And I think everybody in tech would have a problem with that. In fact, hopefully everybody in the U.S. would have a problem with that. Yet that's the the road that we're heading down right now. Most most people in tech, this has been noted before this meeting, that most of the industry um, 
was <laughs> in favor, you know on the side of Hillary Clinton in this election uh, on for several reasons but uh, certainly largely on on uh, immigration uh, and on social issues like you know gay rights and and stuff mm, like that yeah um, uh, one of the people though I, I believe <laughs> the C- CEO of Oracle uh, her name she's actually in the same picture with with yeah cook she yeah. looks very happy to be there she's very enthusiastic in her remarks before the the meeting and uh, and then after the meeting it was announced that she's joining uh his transition team in in some form right and she's gonna so be there's obviously some people there and selling databases but my question uh, is it, it, there's a, a large number of people and I think it has to be addressed. Who, um, who think that people like Tim Cook, uh, Satya Nadella uh, from Microsoft, Larry Page from Google, should not have attended this meeting? They should have declined the invitation, and to, on the basis that it was just dog and pony show, and it was just a photo opportunity for Trump and his children and his transition team to have these people parade in front of the media. I mean, there's a reason why the media was there and that the photographs were taken and it wasn't, you know, certainly could have been held privately if they wanted it to. It was not. It was held publicly, uh, certainly not for the benefit of uh, those who were invited. It was, you know, only for the benefit of Trump and his transition team. I don't see how that's disputable. Right. Should they have declined the invitation? Uh, On the basis of, uh, of it being a form of protest against Trump and what he what he campaigned on and what he's you know trying to do i i think that they're playing a longer game here yes it is a pr opportunity in fact they you know they used that pr opportunity to take a a swipe at twitter right you know Mm -hmm. just over the whole crooked hillary thing and yeah i don't think you want to it's it's not a matter of uh agreeing with him at this point i think it's Pretty safe Oracle to say. CEO, Oracle CVEO is named Safra Katz, by the way. I want to get that out there. So before the meeting, Safra Katz, the one who has joined his transition team, uh, while remaining at, at Oracle CEO, I should add, uh, her quote was, I plan to tell the president-elect that we are with him and will help in any way we can. And my, my take on during Fireball was that that sounds a lot like I'm ready to spit, sign, spit shine his shoes. Um because ready to help in any way we can is and and with him are pretty unequivocal uh, statements of support, which I don't think are supported. And compare and contrast that. And I pointed this out on Daring Fireball. Uh, I think Tim Cook, and unsurprisingly so, was very very precise in his uh, on the record. Uh, remarks. So what they did is they started the meeting by going around the table and introduced themselves. And Tim Cook, all he said was, Tim Cook, very good to be here. Not very glad, very good to be here. And I look very forward to talking to the president-elect about the things that we can do to help you achieve some things you want. Mm -hmm. End of statement. He's not raising, uh, you know, he's not using it. He's not raising a stink. It's it's all polite on the surface. I'm sure in the moment, as it went around the table, it it went on. But if you think about those words precisely, in particular, the difference between we're with you and ready to help in any way we can from Oracle versus 
<laughs> help you achieve some things you want. Like I said, they're playing a longer game here, right? And they've played they've played games with the federal government before, right? The last year right. with the you know the whole iPhone FBI thing, right? They, they're you know they know that this is not just going to end, you know. With well, snap and there the was fingers. also now that there are the it's inevitable now that they are the biggest, you know, at least for now, the biggest company by market cap. And, you know, a, a, there's only a handful of companies within spitting distance, you know, Alphabet being, being I think, number two. ExxonMobil looks like they might have a good eight years, four years at least. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now that they're big, now that they're big, they're, now that they're big, though, they, they're obviously in the crosshairs of uh, – uh, antitrust type stuff which we saw with the iBooks thing which I roll my eyes at because of the whole fact that the iBooks store was never the dominant seller they were yeah that's they were at every point along the way way smaller than Amazon but I would almost point that as that was Amazon it was Amazon who played the justice department and it was Apple's like sort of disinterest and uninvolvement in the the, that game that let them be painted in that corner. I think that's where they started realizing that Washington is a game, right? Right. That's, that's right because it's true. It's beyond you know that Amazon had the Justice Department's ear, and yeah. I'm not saying it's corrupt. I'm saying though it was a mistake. We're we're we look at that situation purely from technical a technical point of view, right? You know, right. We're, we're engineers, right? We, we, we see who's making what money and what, you know, what kind of money they're charging and, you know, how the system works. And, and that's not how Washington works at all. It's, it's right. more uh, emotions and politics and leverage and that kind of thing. So, yeah, that's, in fact, that's probably what this, this, you know, they went into this meeting with, you know, it's like, okay, how am I gonna survive what's going on here? Right? Let's let's right. let's you know. Number one, I mean, did, did everybody who attended that meeting know who else was going to be there? I you believe know? so. Yes. Yeah. You know, and it's it's interesting, especially to, since it was such a small small inv- invitation list. Yeah, I found it interesting. So story, you know, that you know, of the invites, three of them were women: Jenny Romady, the the CEO of Oracle, right. and uh, Sheryl Sandberg. Right, Zuckerberg did not attend. Sandberg uh, attended as the representative of Facebook, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is—I don't even think it was uh, just to seat a woman at the table. I think that my understanding, again, I don't follow Facebook anywhere near as closely as I do Apple or some other companies, um, but I think it's representative of her role there. I think I think it's very fair to say that she's she is to Zuck what. Cook was to Steve Jobs. Yep, you know that more than a lot more than a typical COO, more of a partner. Um, I've said this many times on the show, many many times, but I, I believe it as much now as I ever did. That during, especially, I would say like from the iPhone on, especially like, but at some point, I believe, well, maybe even before that, I, you know. But at some point, Cook clearly had Jobs' trust. And I really do think that if you described Tim Cook's day-to-day activities at Apple to somebody who didn't know the company and you said, what position do you think this person has, that most people would say, well, that sounds like he's the CEO. That Steve Jobs was really more like a day-to-day head of product. And 
Tim Cook ran the company. And I think Sheryl Sandberg has that same role where Zuckerberg can focus his his time entirely on product and she handles yeah. all this other stuff that needs to be handled when you're as big and influential as, as Facebook. And the advantage for those people who are charged with the innovation and developing the product is that they get to think about things that, yeah. that are important to them. And, you know, there's a lot of stuff that about running a company that, that – people like that don't want to do right so they're they're essential in that regard right that that they you know they're you know they're they're the ones that keep the machine running and you know that's probably a more appropriate person to send to a meeting with trump than you know somebody who's innovative and passionate and potentially going to say something that's damaging to the company well here's (laughs) <laughs> this so that I I wrote this and I don't like to trot out the what if Steve Jobs were still around thing too often because I think it can be so overused. But I do. Oh God, I that do. would have been beautiful. <laughs> well, well, and I had, a, not, I, had a, <laughs> I had an interesting discussion with on Twitter about it, and I you know I think everybody I was it was uh, me and uh, Matt Drance and uh, Doctor Wave from Pixar. Um, couple other people. And I think we were all in complete agreement that if Steve Jobs in the alternate universe where, where Steve Jobs, you know, was still healthy and was still at Apple, if he, if he were at that meeting, it would have been fascinating, at least as soon as the press left the room. Um, and then there were reports. I will add that there were reports that uh, that two of the attendees, Cook and Musk, got private meetings with Trump afterwards. So maybe the fireworks would have happened in that meeting if Steve Jobs had a private meeting with Trump. But there is absolutely no way. I don't, you know, damn the torpedoes. There is no way Steve Jobs was kowtowing to Trump. No. And I don't think Cook kowtowed either. No, 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 no. no. I think the difference, though, is that Cook could bite his tongue and Steve Jobs couldn't. I think that's what I'm saying about um, the, that's what I'm saying about the you know the passion that's involved with innovation, right? That's a much God. harder thing to hold right. back. Tim Cook, you know, he's a guy who negotiates contracts and stuff. He knows when to shut up. But I right? think there's a good chance, and and uh, Dr. Wave and Durant, I think, agreed that even in the alternate universe where Steve Jobs is still at Apple, Cook was the one who would go to that meeting yeah, in the same well, way that Sheryl Sandberg. Exactly. Went to that yeah. No. No doubt in my mind that that would happen because you know Steve Jobs is was self aware enough to know that yes he had that streak and that streak can be used for good. It can also be used for evil, right? And you know that's. Well, I, I think it's caution, a, caution on the part of Apple. And then on the other hand, I also think it would have been a strate- strategic way to not give Trump what he wanted, which is that – I mean, Tim Cook is well-known. I mean, he's, oh, you know, yeah, he's, yeah, yeah. he's the biggest you know, company. He's very well-known, but he is nowhere near as famous as Steve Jobs. Yeah. Nowhere yeah, near. Yeah, the day before, Kanye West was having a meeting with him, right? That's the, that's the <laughs> right. level of person that he wants to be associated with, right? I, if, if you paid Gallup to, you know, go around the country and, and get, a, you know, 10,000 random people and ask them who Tim Cook is, you're, I don't know what the awareness is. It's certainly higher than most people people and most CEOs, but if you ask them who Steve Jobs is, it's, you know, it's practically up at like Walt Disney levels. Right. Yeah. They could describe what and he I, looks like and yeah, yeah, it's just, it's just, yeah, that's I think not true. sending 
not sending Steve Jobs would have been a way to sort of lessen Apple's involvement in the dog and pony show of it. Whereas yeah, sending it, Tim it, Cook it, doesn't really right. Yeah, doesn't it, really do anything in that regard. It's a, it's a little bit of a way to give Trump the finger too, right? You know, just the you know, no, we're not sending our best person; we're sending our second best person. <laughs> right. Bezos, Bezos was there. Uh, Ginny, you said Jimmy, Ginny Romney from IBM. Uh, Larry Page. It, Google had two people. Uh, well, Alphabet, whatever. Uh, Larry Page and uh, what's his name? Sh- uh, Schmidt, Eric yeah. Schmidt. Yeah. And Microsoft had two. Uh, Satya Nadella and then Brad, whatever his name is, their uh, COO. It was weird that Microsoft got and, and Google got two, and Apple only got one. And I wonder if that was by choice. If Apple, you know, had you know, and Cook was like, "No, we don't need another one." Yeah, I, I, that's why I say it was interesting to know if you know how that list of people was chosen. Right? It's yeah. you know, did they sort of self? choose or were they asked specifically like, like you know, did the companies companies get an invitation and they got to choose who to go or were the end of invitations to people probably just to the companies i think well it looked like there were a fixed number of seats around that table and that table kind of dictated uh how many people were going to be there so you know maybe that's what maybe yeah. that's why jack dorsey wasn't there there just you know wasn't another seat you know you don't know I suspect not, though. It's yeah. the the vindictive angle. Kind of. Well, there's two things, though. There's a couple. There's a couple of angles on that. One, the angle in favor of Dorsey being there would be that Trump has made more use of Twitter, far more than he did Facebook. I mean, and it's. I mean, I don't even think it's close. I don't right. even know if he. You know, his campaign has a presence on on Facebook, but personally, he's all Twitter. Um, his his Facebook feed is not on Bloomberg. His Twitter feed is on Bloomberg. Right. <laughs> that's it. That's the right. bottom line. <laughs> right. Um, but the other thing too is it does seem there's a case to be made. Uh, I think Gabe Gabe Rivera made it first. He's Gabe is the guy who runs uh, the excellent tech meme news aggregator. Uh, that it seems as though the invitation list was sorted in order of market cap. Uh, that it was. Just, it's not you know in terms of who got invited or not. It's the you know, six or seven biggest by market cap tech companies. And by that measure, Twitter isn't even close because their stock is deeply depressed. I mean, they're, it's, they're, it's, they're not even in the ballpark if, if right. market cap. And in their remarks, in, in Trump's own remarks at the meeting, he even mentioned that, uh, you know, his way of bragging about the meeting was that he said he didn't want to talk about the, he wasn't going to mention the hundreds of companies that called asking for a seat at this table uh, and that there were ones, and that Peter, meaning Peter Thiel, kept saying, "No, they're too small. They're too small." That that, and small meaning market cap. I think you know. Mm-hmm. So that was how right. they measured. Right. Um, so I don't. By that measure, Twitter had no chance. Yeah. That, so they weren't measuring by influence. They were measuring by you know, money. Well, but is that smart? I don't know. I mean, well, that you know, know. kind of goes back to to Ben Thompson's point, right? You know, right. it's like the smaller companies are often the ones that are they're doing more interesting stuff and the stuff that affects the future yeah. and that yeah. drives the economy forward over. Well, over and the, the government years. certainly shouldn't play a central role in determining that. Yeah, anyway, no. the other story that came out was that the Twitter did not get invited because of a a, a, a dispute from the summer that. Uh, Twitter sells these things called branded emoji. Well, they call branded emoji, and we can I, I can go on our side rant about the use of emoji in that context in a moment. But the gist of it is that a a sponsor can buy a hashtag, and then when people tweet that hashtag, they automatically get a a 
emoji or, or a little sticker, an illustration behind it. So, for example, right now, if you tweet the hashtag Rogue One, you get a little Death Star image after the thing. Now, I wasn't aware of this because, uh, like anybody with any kind of couth or taste, I use a third-party Twitter client uh, on everywhere, oh, just about everywhere. And these things are only visible in Twitter's own t- Twitter apps and this stupid-ass, ugly Twitter website. Uh, so I wasn't aware of this. But apparently over the summer, the Trump campaign wanted to buy one for hashtag crooked Hillary. And uh, who even knows what the icon would have been? I think they said they wanted it to be a, a bag of money flying away or something like that. I don't know. Uh, and Twitter uh, declined to accept the sponsorship. Apparently, Jack maybe Jack Dorsey himself put the, the nicks on it. And that the Trump campaign hasn't forgotten it. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think that's it, though. I'm not sure that it... I'm sure it didn't help, because I think they are vindictive, uh, uh, petty people. But I don't really... I I think that the market cap angle was a bigger one. I think, yeah. Now that you mentioned that, it's probably uh, Peter Thiel had more influence on who mm. was at that table than than trump yes. himself it's it really sounded it sounded like trump's own remarks that it was really largely just you know there was a list of finalists and trump ran them by teal and teal said yes yes no 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 yes yes or or, or vice versa right maybe teal had the yeah, list it sounded trump, more like it sounded knows. more like it was teal who was given the yeses and no i mean obviously uh, if trump had said i want i want twitter it would have happened but yeah as tech people we have a different view on all of this you know it's like it's like this this russian hacking thing right it's like you know that to me is totally you know your first hint of that was like oh yeah because anybody who's run a server has seen you know ip addresses from you know the eastern block pinging our servers, you know, looking for, you know, WP login pages, PHP my admin. You know, it's just it's just like they're just they're looking for ways into what you're doing and and you know that that, that Did you see the affected did you see a presidential the- election is just you know, it, 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 you know again, back to the fairness argument. You know, how in the hell is that fair? Did you see that uh, among all of the uh, just like series of unfortunate events that all just happened to break the wrong way for the Clinton campaign? It was just one thing after another, and it just all broke the wrong way. Um, But one of them was that when John Podesta got the phishing email and it was forwarded on to somebody like, what's going on with this? And the person on the staff who you know evaluated it wanted to write back this this email is illegitimate uh john should change his passwords immediately um but instead wrote inadvertently this email is legitimate john should change his passwords immediately and so apparently he because it said that he used the link in the email to change his password all right and that this person who wrote made this mistake and wrote legitimate where they wanted to write illegitimate. Right. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's, a, is, a couple is, of letters on the keyboard that we've all right. made the mistake with. Right. Uh, is, you know, heartbroken and as apparently is apparently crushed. Anyway. Well, and, 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 you know, the, the flip side of it. Okay. Yeah. They, they, they hacked the Democrats. Well, you, do you think they hacked the Republicans too? 
Uh, there's, it's widely, it's, that's actually, you know, they haven't leaked, but it's, it's actually, I mean, this isn't speculation, but, that, but it's that, actually. That, yeah, that, that, that to me is leverage and blackmail right. and, and right. all of the other nasty shit. So, you know, this, this, you know, that this, this, this is an issue. It's clearly a nonpartisan issue, right? right. The, 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 well, it should the, be, the, yes. The, yes, it should be. And and if you try to say that this is, oh, the Democrats are just, you know, sour grapes, it's like, no, oh, that's bullshit. Yeah. This is this affects everybody, right? This is, you know, again, it goes back to the fairness. You know, the, 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 our government should be a level playing field. Yes, there are two teams, right? And they compete against each other. Right. But if the, if the fucking playing field isn't level... We got a problem. I don't want to be too histrionic about it, but uh, it does fundamentally come down to whether the parties see themselves as two opposing parties within one nation or they view each other as their enemies. And it, it, the Democrats clearly still see the Republicans as their opposition and the Republicans see the Democrats as their enemy. And, you, and, and that's, again, I don't mean to be histrionic. It sounds, if you, if you happen to be of conservative bent and you think that that's just me being a liberal, you can see it in the polls where a poll came out today of what's your net positive or negative on the following people. And they asked a survey of Republicans in the United States, uh, it was like Barack Obama was a negative 64, net negative. Hillary Clinton was a net negative 77. And Vladimir Putin was negative 10. <laughs> right. So, so Vladimir Putin is is 54 points more popular among Republicans than Barack Obama. I mean, it's it's no joke or kidding or exaggeration that the Republican Party – largely sees the Democrats as more of their enemy than they do the Russians, which is nuts, especially for people of our age where who the remember, Republicans were yeah. the ones who were the hardline realists oh, against geez. I was just gonna I was just going to say, you know, Ronald Reagan is rolling over in his grave. Well, as a kid and a teenager, when I first you know became politically aware and I was a news junkie, I, I viewed myself more as a Republican than a Democrat because I thought that the Republicans were the party of, uh, 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 you know, to put it succinctly, the party of the cold hard truth, and that the Democrats were more of a saw what they wished for party. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that the the main issue at the time wasn't something like climate change uh uh or a few other things where it comes up but climate change is a perfect example today where one party is looking at facts and the other party is just believing what they want to be true um but at the time the preeminent issue was the cold war because it was you know hey if this turns out poorly every, we're, we're all dead we're, we're screwed yeah this, this right. is we're a, all dead. this is a, a game with no winners yeah right. uh and it seemed to me like the Republicans were the I, – I, I think history has shown it to be true, that the Republicans were the ones who looked at it with, it, you know, just – Cold, a, cold a, hard facts, yeah. Right. Uh, so it's ridiculous to me that they've now become the party that's like, ah, Russia is good people. Well, maybe they are good people, but <laughs> Russian government leadership, ah, good people. Yeah, it's – anyway. you know, it, it's, it's kind of like, you know, that the, the – they have to, you know, the, the, it's a win at all costs kind of situation for them, right? And and yes. the, 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 the the problem I have is that those costs are going up in ways that hurt our society and hurt our government. Yep. 
I mean, well, they're anti democratic. I'm, 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 I'm at odds with many people in my family now because of this. Yeah. I'm sure that's true uh, for a lot of people. And I, it sucks. But, but yeah. you know, they, they had to vote for their Republican person because, you know, they, and, and, and the fact that, that you know, the, the people that are celebrating a, a, the, the Trump win include the, the Ku Klux Klan and in <laughs> evangelical Christians in the same group. I mean, what is wrong there? All right. Well, you get, start to get the feeling that maybe the evangelical Christian base, may, maybe Christianity isn't their I – mean, you just start to think maybe it's not their top priority. Our faith that people are inherently good, right. we're screwed. Well, let me use that as a segue to talk about Harry's Razors. This is – now, look, this show's coming out tonight. December 16th. This is a gift that you can get. You've got time. If you're listening to this show uh, tonight on the 16th, you can even still get ground shipping. After tonight, you're going to have to pay for air shipping. But you can get this as a gift for the holidays still. You got to act. I hope you're listening to this show while it's hot off the press, you know, pressed onto the 45 record or whatever you're using to listen to the show. Uh, but if you act quick, you can do it. You can uh, go to harrys.com and get an order in. Uh, now, why why would this make a good gift? Well, one of the reasons is it's a great product. I've said this before. They make nice handles, really, really great. Nice blades. They own their own razor blade factory. This is how they get the, the prices down. This is how they keep the quality up. They're not just like buying white label razor blades and putting Harry's name on them. They own a razor blade factory over in Germany that they make their own. There's no middlemen, no distributors, no no markup on the way to to, to retail. It's just they make them. They package them. They sell them to you. Uh, so it's a great product. And they've got good uh, shaving cream and, and stuff like that. They've got – what do they have here? A limited edition set. If you haven't heard of them before, uh, you can get this uh, set. It comes with a razor handle of your choice, shaving cream, replacement blades, and a nice little travel cover. Uh, they have something called the Winston set that includes an engravable chrome handle if you want to add a personalized touch. The other reason these things make a nice gift is that the packaging is so nice. So you can wrap this up, and when people open it, it's not like you're selling, you're giving them one of these blister pack razor blades that you'd get at a drugstore where it looks, you know, this looks like you've bought them like a nice thing. Like you, even if it, you don't even know what's inside, it's just like this cool box. It's it's not like a blister pack where you've got to go get a razor blade just to open the damn thing up. It's a nice box with a nice lid. Uh, I've I've said before it's the type of packaging that's so good that I feel bad throwing it out and I have to defeat my sort of natural inclination to be a pack rat and keep it like why in the world would I keep an empty box that had razor blades in it it's stupid but it's so nice I've, it always pains me as I toss it into the the bathroom trash can it's a great great product um, so if you're listening tonight you can still get ground shipping otherwise. Uh, you know, you gotta you gotta pay for air shipping if you want to get this as a gift. But you can go to Harry's dot com, and you can use the code Talk Show, just plain Talk Show, no the, and you'll get five bucks off your at if you use that code at checkout. Talk Show, no the at Harry's dot com. Go there, check it out. If you've got anybody on your list who needs a last minute gift, you can hurry up and and get that in. My thanks to them. Great product. 
All right, I'm done talking about politics. Let's have fun. Yeah, this is, thank this you. Trump stuff is Trump stuff is no fun. Well, it's it's no fun, but we've got to deal with it. Right? You got to deal with it. You can't put your head in the sand, and that's the reason why I think that's the reason I think I just to put a bow on this topic. That's the reason why I think it was right that Tim Cook and Jeff Bezos and Satya Nadella and whoever else went to the meeting. Is you can't put your head in the sand. You can't just put your fingers in your ears and go la la la. You know, I don't want this guy to be the president. Uh, you got to look at it. You got to stare it right in the eyes, you know, pretending that it didn't happen. Exactly. Stay angry and don't let it get normalized because this, right. this is not normal. No matter, you know, right. anybody who says it's all, oh, you know, it'll, it'll all play out well. It's like, no, right. this is not going to play out well. I just hope, no. I hope we're around in four years to, to have another election because, yeah. you know, you, you, you see this shit happening with, you know, China right now. It's like, oh, right. oh, oh Jesus, this is not where we want to go. It's like yeah. You know, so for, for my parents' generation, that happened in Cuba, right? And right. and and people freaked out. Well, hey, guess what? It's this generation's chance to have that little freak out moment. But yeah, let's not talk about the politics anymore. I've got one thing that's even less fun. It's even less fun than Trump, and I have to talk about it. No fun at all. It's Super Mario Run came out. <laughs> <laughs> and my God, it's got an in-app purchase. Oh my God. So it's Super way. Mario Run came out yesterday. Uh, here's how it works. I think it was a mystery. I don't think it was announced how exactly. It, it, I think the only thing we knew was that it was going to be a free download with a couple of levels to play for free, and then you'd have to buy it. So the way it works is free download. You get three levels to play. After that, you need to buy it, and it's ten bucks. But the way that they're doing the in-app purchase is such that the ten bucks is per device. I think. I don't think. I think if I had yes. an iPad, I think I'd still have to. I've I've heard a complaint from uh, one of my colleagues, uh, Sean Heber, said that he had to buy it for himself and his three kids. He's right. got three. He's got three boys that want to play it, and you know that's a forty dollars game for him. Now, from Nintendo's perspective, that's the way it's always worked, right? If you if you have a, a 3ds and your kids have a 3ds and you want to play this game, you could you know, at the same time you could you'd all have to buy your own version of it now if, when it was cartridges you could like share the cartridge but then only one of you could play it at a time and there's no way to do that with an in-app purchase you can't have an in-app purchase that says your whole family can use this app but only one of you can use it at a time it just doesn't work that way so from nintendo's perspective this isn't that unusual and they don't sell $10 games for the 3DS. This would be like a $40 or $50 game for the 3DS. But on the other hand, before anybody even says it and writes to me, don't write to me. I understand that even with the purchase, this entire game is probably less expansive than a typical 3DS game. That it's smaller, whatever. I can't get... 10 bucks is so little, honestly. I, I do get it. And that there's family sharing. We use it. We we got a lot of stuff on the family sharing here. Um, in this particular case, I, I can't blame it i i want nintendo to make money on this i do yeah i i'd, I'd, I'd love to see a lot of game developers make money but yeah it's, no it's, argument it's a, from me that ten dollars is a per device is a premium price for an iphone game but honestly i've played this game for a day now it's a premium game it is a premium game so yeah and I, I, and and the, the the problem right now though is that there are a lot of people who have been indoctrinated into the you know well i can earn coins to to get what i want Right, it shouldn't cost me anything, and they're the ones that are complaining about, you know, this this game. Right? It's, I mean, we'd all love it as as developers. We would all love it if people just paid for the thing. Right? That's what we all want. Just just spend your money. 
if you like it, buy it. And, and, and instead, we're jumping through all these hoops, you know, doing, you know, things that make people look like they're not spending money because we call them coins instead of dollars. Right. And, you know, it's... It's all, you know, the, the deception and, and right. so, you know, kudos to, to Nintendo for just saying, hey, it's going to cost you $10. Deal with it. Yeah. And the three levels that they let you play before you are asked for a, a, a nickel, I think are indicative of the the gameplay. And they even show you on a, there's like a, when you complete a level, they show you that there's six worlds of four levels each. And so you get through the first three levels of the first world before you have to pay to continue. You both have a you both have a very fair idea of what the game is like to play, and you also have a very fair idea of how much is unlocked. Right when you pay the ten bucks, you to me it's a very fair deal, and I think you know again you know and if you've got you know somebody's out there surely has three or four kids you know and it's like hey it's you know you're telling me it's a 60 dollar purchase for my kids and my wife and i to play this i understand that you know that that's it's pretty lot it's a lot of money for an iphone game but you know i it, i'd much rather have nintendo doing this and having it as a fair upfront price than to see nintendo succumb to the you know keep putting $2 in to buy a bag of coins to keep going, you know, or to right. get past this log jam. You know, this level is for all intent and, intents and purposes unbeatable unless you've got a thousand coins and you can only really have a thousand coins if you pay us three bucks. Right. Or go watch a bunch of ads or whatever the hell these other games make you do. It's, you know, it's not like that. And I think it's, you know, and to me, as somebody, I, I, you know, I'm not a diehard gamer. I'm probably the opposite. I actually probably spend a lot less time playing video games than the average person my age. Uh, And probably for someone who's interested in technology and computers, way, I'm probably way at the bottom in terms of how much time I spend playing games. Uh, I think I get the impression you're probably the same as me. I went through my childhood before Nintendo became a thing, right? I I don't, I don't get Mario or any of the, you know, the, that whole 80s gaming thing because you know in the 80s right. I was you know 20 years old and had begun an adult life so yeah it uh do you have an Atari or were you too too old yeah for Atari? no we, a friend of mine had an Atari but you know it was just the pong and the, all the other kind of yeah. crappy games and and you know at the same time that 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 was happening I was also discovering computers so it's like I could write my own computer games why the hell am I sitting in front of the TV right. <laughs> fiddling with this little dial it's like oh man right. i got i got a basic interpreter this is way right. better <laughs> right i understand the feeling exactly uh yeah i could be making something um and that's the and i'm glad it happened that way it made you know made me who i am yeah i have an on off i've never been a huge nintendo fan i never like i didn't like the nes uh and then in my college years there was the uh, not the N64, Super Nintendo. Super Nintendo was the one of the early 90s, early and mid-90s. I had a Sega Genesis, which was, uh, I thought, the superior system, uh, at least for the type of games I wanted to play, like John Madden football and the the, the NHL hockey game. Uh, and uh, Sega's version of Mario was uh, Sonic the Hedgehog, mm, right, yeah. which was the t- 2D scroller. Uh, I did have an N64, which I liked a lot. Um 
later on. It's probably the last console I really played a lot. Although I guess I had an original Xbox too, and I played that sometimes. How old were but then you when you Jonas as a kid? Well, when what? How old were you when you're playing these games? Uh, Sega Genesis was my college years, so that uh, was okay. like ninety one to ninety six, right? Roughly, uh, that was a thirty two bit system, or was it sixteen? So you're, been, yeah, yeah so you're sitting in, so you're sitting in a dorm room. It's a it's a thing to party with, right? Yeah, exactly. It was yeah. a dorm. It was a big uh-huh. dorm room thing, uh, and it's partly because they the the EA Sports games. I don't even know that they had them for Nintendo or Super Nintendo, and if they did, they were inferior. Like the the Sega Genesis was better at the sports games, um, and that was what we all played each other. That was what we played nonstop. N sixty four was good though. There was this Goldeneye game. Anybody who had it knows exactly what I'm talking about. And anybody, it was a three D shooter, and you'd play. You could play against your roommate, and it it was split screen. So you each got like you'd split the screen. And because it was a four to three screen, it was, I forget if it was horizontal and you got like a real wide angle thing or if it was side to side. I think it was, I actually forget. True story, true story. I had a roommate my first year after college. I had a roommate, uh, Don, and we played, we had an N64 and that was when the PlayStation first came out, the original PlayStation. And what we used to do was rent video games. You could go to you had to get a disc. So you'd go to Blockbuster and you could rent a game for 4 days for I don't know, 5 bucks, 4 bucks. Way cheaper than buying $60 games, right? We didn't have the money to buy a bunch of $60 games. So the renting thing was awesome. So we had an N64. You basically is it's you binge on the game and you know, you've you've you've, you've you're getting the 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 the, the content for right. A, a so we go price. to block We'd go to Blockbuster and you'd look and like the PlayStation section had all of these awesome games, like at the time, realistic car racing games and shooters and all of these awesome games. And then the Nintendo section had like seven titles and most of them were like for little kids. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) But then GoldenEye came out and GoldenEye fixed everything. Effectively, our N64 turned into a dedicated GoldenEye box. It was a good one-player game. It had the a, a very long campaign where you played James Bond going through the GoldenEye movie scenario. A really good first, per, you know, one-player mode, and then the two-player thing was just unbelievably fun, unbelievably fun. And eventually, I got just ever. It was one of the only games I ever got pretty good at, and I I got ever so slightly better than Don was. Like this is after maybe a whole year of playing, and. I was always a fraction of a section, a second quicker than him. And it got to the point where he couldn't beat, you know, we used to be like 50, 50. And then it was, I somehow gained, like I leveled up a little bit and he couldn't beat me. And one time he threw this controller out the window and we lived on the third floor. (laughs) (laughs) Time to buy a new controller. (laughs) But it was the most satisfying victory ever, right? Like what could be more satisfying than making your friend throw his controller out the window. Yeah, but then at that point, you're pretty much done with the game, right? Because the guy knows yeah. he can never win again, and, you know, it's like, okay, right. uh, why, why play? <laughs> yeah. But anyway, then my other experience with Nintendo is we had the Wii, the one, the first, you know, not the Wii. We oh, have the yeah, Wii U, too, yeah. but we never yeah, played it. The Wii was great. I, that The one where yeah. you'd, you'd had the, 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 basically the physical games were awesome. Right. Right, it just got people moving around. I thought that was right, and that that was how Jonas learned to play video games. We had that when he was, Uh, I don't know, 
three or four or something like that. And that's another we, one. That's another one where you can throw the controller, but not necessarily right. because you meant to. <laughs> Right. We have these, we have this, we, Jonas and I laugh about it because Jonas is very much into video games now and he's almost 13. Um, is that when he, we first started playing, there's a great, great series of games, uh, these Lego games where you play as a Lego character from like movies and you go through and, um, you know, like the one that we played that was the, the first one was the Lego Star Wars and you, it's this game and it had all six of the original Star Wars movies, meaning the first three from, you know, the eighties, then the prequels, uh, and e- each one was broken up into six like adventures. So you had 36 adventures to go through from all of the star Wars movies. And you just play as two characters at the same time on screen and you go through and smash things up and take the bricks and rebuild them into other things. And it was very, very, just very fun, very, very kid friendly, but very fun for me as an adult to play too. But the funny thing was that when we first started playing, it, I don't know if Jonas was three or four, probably around four, was that, um, and it's sort of like an iso, what's the, isomorphic per, perspective? Isometric. Right. Yeah. Isometric perspective, the game. Yeah. And Jonas just had tremendous trouble, like, if you had to walk on a, you had to get your character <sighs> oh, to walk on a cat, right. catwalk diagonally. Right. right. Uh, not even like a tightrope, but, you know, but like a, a three-character-wide catwalk that was at a 45-degree angle. He would just keep falling off. And it's one of these games where you'd, you yeah, he probably did, he probably didn't have the spatial capabilities in his brain yet, right? right? That just the not right. being able to say to project that into right. his his mind, yeah, and and to huh. transfer it into a, a movement with his thumb, right? You know? Right. And it's one of these games where one of, part of the part of what made it so much fun to play with a little kid is that you you never you don't run out of lives and have to start the level over. Every time you die, you just lose some of the coins you've picked up, and it just shoots you back to you know. 15 you know 5 feet away from where you died. You just keep respawning and you all you lose are these coins and when you finish the level with the most coins it's an accomplishment. So you know you can you know finishing without dying which is gives you more coins so there's an advantage to not dying but you never actually like have to start the level over. But there would be certain things where he just spatially couldn't navigate and it <laughs> I think I'm a pretty patient father, but eventually it's like just give me the give me the controller. <laughs> Dad's gonna help you out here, <laughs> right? And it wasn't like getting him past like a boss, you know, villain. It was just getting him through like a very narrow, hard to navigate little thing. Uh, and it's just very, it's very comical now when I try to play video games with him because, <laughs> because oh, probably, it's actually probably, the opposite. Yeah, right. I was going to say, he kicks, he's kicking your ass now, right? Because he's, he's young, he's got good oh. eyesight, good reflect, or reflexes. Yeah, he's... <laughs> what was it? It was a Lego game, like Lego Batman or something like that. And I was like, I'll play that with you. And I started playing and it was clear that I was holding him back. <laughs> Right, was, and he's, and and he's not going to say anything. You know, he loves you and everything. He's right. not going to like hurt right. your feelings, but he's like, Dad, just just. Leave. Oh, I was like, remember when you'd be the one holding me back, and he'd be, he laughed. He had a good sense of humor yeah, about it. Yeah, but it was very clear that I was the one holding him back. Uh anyway, I wish Nintendo the best. I think they're going to do very well with it. Complaints about the price aside, it does seem like they're being very aggressive on the trying to keep the. Whatever countermeasures they've taken against piracy, it seems like they've 
done quite a bit. One of them being, and here's the one that's going to affect honest people the most, is the game does not play if you don't have a network connection. I tested it. It's very true. Like if you turn on airplane mode and try to start the game, it says, "Oops, you know, try to move to try to move somewhere where you have a better network connection." Oh, that's not gonna. That's not gonna play out well. I mean, it, as soon as somebody, you know, it's like. On launch day, you're not going to notice that, but over time, you know, you're going to be wanting to yeah. play it in a in the subway, on an airplane, an airplane, right? Yeah. Well, and it's funny. People have even pointed out that at the announcement, Miyamoto even said because it's totally playable one handed that it's great to play in a subway. Now, maybe you know, maybe he's thinking of. I don't know. I've never been to Tokyo, but maybe Tokyo. I wouldn't be surprised if it is one of those cities where well, the subways yeah. even have bar- ubiquitous cell service. Yeah, I've, I noticed uh, the last time, uh, uh, last trip to WWDC, that that uh, that their cell service in Bart now, on, you know, from the airport to to downtown, you, you pretty much have a network connection all the time. All right, but when this when this news came out that the game doesn't work without a network connection, a bunch of readers wrote to me and just said, "Well, my kid, you know, has an iPod Touch." Or, yeah. you know, the, the 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 iPod Touch that an awful lot of kids have is a two or three year old iPhone that doesn't have a SIM card. You know, just to hand me down. Here's my, you know, this was Dad's iPhone from two years ago. Just take the self, just take the SIM card out, and you've got a, you know, a hand me down iPod Touch. Uh, yeah, and then those you know, devices. Uh, yeah, and, and car trips. That's another. You know. You know yep. That's it. That's exactly like, it. Do you, do you want it? And and then okay, okay. Well, you have to set up a Wi-Fi hotspot just so the kids can play Nintendo. Ugh. Right. <laughs> right. It's like no thanks. Right. No, okay, uh, let's let's drain mom and dad's batteries so that we can play Nintendo. And I saw something about the fact that the game has a lot of doesn't seem to run on a lot of jailbreaks. Uh, it seems, which only makes me think that Nintendo is specifically looking for signs of common jailbreaks and is refusing to run. Uh, uh, how are they going to do that? Yeah, that? That's actually a hard thing to do in a sandbox. You, you know, they, yeah. they, Apple might have looked. The other way, I wonder some of these things. I don't know. I don't want to. I don't. You know, not knowing how it works or anything. But my that would be my first reaction. It's like, hmm. Maybe there's here's my other question. My other question is, it's it is iOS exclusive right now. It is apparently coming to Android eventually. How long do you think until it comes out on Android? Google will probably want to use it like Apple did as a way to to promote a new software yeah. release or something like that. Um, I could see it happening at the next IO or something, you know, just like it, yeah, it, I it, it played well at the iPhone seven launch. It'll play well at some Google launch. So I think yeah. that that would be your answer. So maybe like six months. I don't know, but is it old yeah. news in six months? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, who knows? I mean, it's the, the half-life for games these days is pretty, uh, pretty insane it's it's like you know pokemon go right middle of summer right. it was just everywhere in fact you know yeah. we had a in fact down at the beach where you know i go every day it's like there's there was one tree that everybody be standing under because it had shade and pokemon characters <laughs> and it got to be <laughs> kind of funny it's like everybody walked by oh yeah that's the pokemon spot you know and and you you know you'd talk to people there oh yeah i'm waiting for the you know the, you know the gym or whatever it is and oh my god i saw a thing on i saw a thing on twitter 
I wish I had had it, I, but it was the gist of it was somebody was like, "Oh my god, I can't believe they had to put this sign up." Somebody was in like a museum, oh yeah, uh, or something, and it was like a part where they were showing like uh, something really grave and serious. It was like relics from uh, a, I don't know, like a, a, a concentration camp or something like that. You know, something really, really grave and serious. You know, like here's a bunch of artifacts from some kind of uh, internment camp, or I don't think it was the Holocaust, but something like that, though, where like a bunch of people were were you know political you know prisoners and and people died and it went on a long time and and there was a sign up that said please no pokemon go right like because you can only imagine like a sign like that doesn't go up unless people were doing it yeah you know like somehow yeah. they're really like, yeah they're, they're, they're reacting to something yeah right well I, I you know i thought the you know in it in the middle of summer i was my one of the thoughts I had was like, what happens when it gets cold, right? All these people going out hunting yeah. for Pokemon. What what the hell are they going to do when it's you know raining or snowing or you know middle of a hurricane or whatever? And yeah. it's like, hmm, you know. So that they launched that in a really good time, and you know maybe they had the expectation that it's you know, it's going to have six great months, and then who knows. I think we're in the who knows right now. You know, it's like you know maybe, you know, Mario on iOS is going to be the same way. I suspect I not. Know. It's it, there's yeah. a lot to be said for that brand. Um, same is true with Pokemon. There, you know, it's a huge brand. A lot of uh, nostalgia in that brand. I mean, that's just, you know the fact that you were you know talking about you know all your past consoles and the games you played i mean that's it's, yep. it, it's nostalgia is a powerful thing and yeah. you know that's it and it it's it's interesting too that 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 mario is 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 nostalgia that's getting passed on right there's there's a yeah. there's a, a generation of kids now who are going to grow up and their first encounter with mario is going to be you know on their their iphone or their ipad or their i iPod Touch, you know, it's, it's, that's that's their beginning, and where's it going to well, go the, from here? Uh, who knows? Yeah, the comparison I think is, you know, and it's it's obvious one that a thousand people have made before uh, is to Mickey Mouse and the Donald Duck and you know the whole gang of characters um, that is you know so old that they Disney literally has to keep petitioning the U.S. federal government to keep extending the copyright uh, expiration date. Uh, because they're so old that they would have already passed into the public domain by now, and yet are completely relevant and popular, uh, and, and and a good source of revenue, <laughs> right? Well, <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean that, but they're, they're usually one, popular for a reason, right? But, well, and one reason one reason why that they've remained popular is that the, even under Walt Disney, I think it started with Walt was don't be afraid to move them into new media, just keep keep going up with technology, don't. Don't don't say well. Mickey's a movie star, so he's never going to be on TV. No, we're going to have a TV show and and you know get everybody to watch it. I mean, it's one of my favorite stories, and it's one of the best comparisons between Walt Disney and Steve Jobs that I've ever seen. Was that he was so willing to let go of the past and always hungry for the future, which was the it goes against human nature. I mean, it even ties back to our discussion on Trump and those tech leaders and Trump seeing his job as president as protecting the current top companies as opposed to just keeping it fair and letting the revolution happen. You know, Walt was, you know, in the fifties when TV started to become a thing, uh, the movie studios were totally disdainful of television and saw it as a lesser medium. I mean, we saw that until 
it, uh, really up until vi- just a handful of years ago where being a, a, an actor in, in the movies was, is, was seen as way more serious than being an actor on TV. It really took until the last handful of years and shows like uh, The Sopranos and Mad Men and Westworld where people and Game of Thrones where people see TV as being as good or even better than movies. Yeah, uh, yeah. Walt Disney... Unlike all the other Hollywood studios, the other Holly, the, the way that Hollywood attacked the TV was by, uh, and part of it is cool. I love CinemaScope and seventy millimeter prints. Is that, that's when TV, that's when movies switched from the four three uh, aspect six, ratio, yeah, sixteen nine, sixteen to yeah. nine, and yeah. the bigger the bigger CinemaScope two point one uh, widescreen, and they built bigger screens that had curves, and they'd start shooting in seventy millimeter. It was okay. You want to have a little dinky, rinky dink you know, 19 inch black and white display with a lot of static on it. Well, we're going to, you know, start shooting in color and we're going to make it bigger. And that's a fine response, but it certainly didn't stop the march of progress with TV. Walt Disney, on the other hand, was like, we'll keep making movies, but hell yeah, I want to, I want to be, I want Mickey Mouse on that TV. He, I, I've always loved that quote of his where, you know, he, he made movies so that he could make more movies, right? I, I, the, no, he made terrible. money so he could yeah, make. Yeah, exactly. He made money on movies so that he could make more movies and that's TV was just another way for him to make money to make more cool things right right and right. that's why I we hope don't, you know things don't. like Nintendo I hope they do really well on on iOS because if they do right. they're going to do more and they'll right. embrace it we don't it. make we don't make movies to make money we make money to make movies there you go yes uh, and, and he meant it. it you know you yeah. can roll your oh. eyes but he meant it right and uh, uh, you know that's, and that's, tying that's a, that in is yeah. the recent announcement that Nintendo has signed a big, big long-term deal with Universal to get uh, like Nintendo World into Universal's theme parks around the world? Sure, makes sense. Which I am, I'm looking forward to tremendously. I, I, I don't. You've probably never been there, but uh, at Universal in Florida, they have a big. I don't know. Pro- I've got to be billion-dollar deal with uh, the Harry Potter franchise. Right. I've seen pictures that, of uh, it. I've never been there, but yeah, it's and it looks great. I mean, yeah, we love nostalgia. Were you a uh, Mad Men fan? A what? Did you ever watch the show Mad Mad Men? Oh, Mad Men, yeah. Did you ever watch yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, right, of course. Yeah, Don Draper, and, and that's <laughs> that's probably where Nost- I got that from. <laughs> nostalgia. It's delicate but potent. Yeah. Teddy told me that in Greek, nostalgia literally means the pain from an old wound. It's a twinge in your heart for more, more powerful than memory alone. That's nostalgia. Yep, that's good writing. That's, yeah, that's the uh, the one with the the Kodak uh, slide. Yep, it's really it's the it's it was like the first season, but it's the best. It's the best yeah. episode. And, then, and you know, you look at that Kodak thing, right? That's that that was revolutionary at the time, right? right? And and we, as you know, kids growing up, that was like you know, we didn't have iPhotos and swiping through. You know, we right. had oh, let's put up the screen and stare at Dad's slides. Well, and another example of a company, a company that lost its way by protecting what it had rather than mm. going to its future. Mm. They were making all their money from film, and they were. It's it's absolutely astounding when you look at how many of the uh, the foundations of digital photography started at Kodak, and the people at you know in charge at Kodak patted the engineers who had all these digital camera technologies ready to go. You know, and patted him on their head and said, "Nice work, boys, but uh, we can't sell film." Yeah, well, pull, you know, pull, we're, not, pull. we're not selling any film for digital cameras, so you know, keep that in the labs. 
it was actually didn't work Pol- out so well. For exactly, him. is that actually Polaroid who came up with the first digital right. camera? Like, oh, right. whoa, why didn't you guys Kodak follow through with that? So much of it, right? <laughs> Polaroid and Kodak did so much work on it and never took it to market because it would have disrupted their own film business. Well, bottom line. Xerox did the same thing, right? It's a, there, there's, right. A, there's a there's a line of companies that that right. we remember fondly because they didn't do what Apple does, which right. is you know kill your right. babies. Right, preaching to the choir here, but it's in 2006 the single most important product that Apple computer made was their line of iPods, and it was very clear to anybody who looked at the iPhone with open eyes that. Well, once you have one of these, you'll never buy an iPod again. Yeah. Except maybe the cheap no screen one that you don't care about wearing in the pool, right? The uh, one yeah, that doesn't actually yeah. make the company yeah. money, right? Yeah. The at the same time, I don't think we appreciated how important that camera was going to be. No, we def no, definitely not. Because I mean, the first camera was like, yeah, it was it's a piece okay. of garbage. It's, it's yeah, it, it's it's better than that 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 feature phone I used to have, but yeah, no, but I'll barely. Still, I'll still carry my DS. I'll barely. still carry my DSLR around. You know, yeah, barely better. Right? It was right. it was more convenient though. That was the thing that right. it was like ah, right? And you know, Instagram and all this other stuff took off because oh, shit, it's always there. Right. I just think that the the time nobody maybe even Apple just didn't foresee how quickly uh, cameras that could fit in the space that was available theoretically just you know however much however much space you want to devote into a iPhone sized device to the camera uh, how good the image quality could be out of that camera I just don't think anybody really foresaw what the next five years were going to be that first one though, it's yeah. ridiculous I, I've said this before on the show like every every time it comes up I'm like I. I don't think it even shot video. And then I'm like, no, wait, that's not possible. And then I look it up and it's like, yep, didn't shoot, didn't even shoot yep. shitty video. <laughs> shot and, you no know, video and, whatsoever. <laughs> and now, you know, it doesn't even fit in the case anymore. And that's okay. Right. right. You know, the, we, we've got the camera bulge because it's like, it, it, it it's more important to have that good camera than well, it is to have that clean back line. I'm not going to say it's okay. I accept it. But, ah, uh, it's, a, it's, it's a compromise, right? It's right. definitely a compromise. But yes, it, I mean, we'd all love it if that back was completely smooth but we also love the fact that it's not i have that's the one thing i i don't know what to think about with the pixel i have a google pixel and so google pixels google's just google's way around that was to have they have no bump for the camera on the back but the entire device is slightly wedge shaped so down at the bottom it's thin and that's the that's the thinness they like to talk about and up by the camera it's thick and there's no one point where there's a bulge. Um, and it's not super at, – at a glance, it's, you can't even tell. But in your hand, it's obvious. And it is sort of top-heavy. I have mixed feelings about that. I do think just – I don't want to go too deep on the camera bulge. But, I, the, but now that it, the iPhone 7 has been in my hands for, what, three months? October, November, December? Yeah, about three months. Yeah. Uh, I do – two little things that I really, really like about it. And I know people keep saying that it's the same industrial design, but it's only at, at a glance. The two little things that I really like. Number one, I like that this camera bump is more of an honest camera bump, right? Yeah, it's, it, yeah. It's, absolutely. I'm 100% with you there. It's like it's, it's, it, it looks like a bump. Right. And, and, and it is a bump. 
And they're still running those ads that show the hero shot of the shiny jet black iPhone 7 Plus, where the the entire central focus of the hero shot is the big capsule-sized camera bump on the back. Like, yep. you know, and it's perfectly lit and glossy to highlight it. And I just keep thinking the, it's the complete opposite of the original iPhone 6 ads where the articles where Apple's product shots are hiding the bump, you know, where they'd show yeah, it from you, the you side. Had, and you, you, had, you had to hunt for it on the Apple right. site in order to see it. Yeah, right. it was just it, they, they, they just pretending it wasn't there. The other thing I really like, and I can't explain why I like it so much, is that the volume buttons are no longer in a channel on the side. They're just two buttons that stick out of the side. There used to be a you little can feel them. Yeah, well, but the, yeah, uh, I, no, I think it, I think they're easy to locate for me at least. That's... But there's like a there was like a little channel dug in, and the gap between the two volume buttons was therefore more. I don't know. It just felt cheap to me on the iPhone six and six S in a way that that that, that I really like the volume buttons on this better. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. Quick quick question: Did you get the Jet Black? Yes. I did. Do you love it? I love it, and I, 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 I mean, I, I, I love being able to carry a phone without a case again. Yep. It's just like it's sticky in my hand, and that's all I wanted. I don't, you know, yeah, I got the micro abrasions. I, I hold it up here to the light. It's like yeah. I can see them, but I, I don't spend my time looking at the back of the phone. I spend my time holding the back of the phone. Yeah, and, and it's the, just so clearly looks, better there. Yeah, and I think and after it looks three, awesome. After three months of daily use, I can tell. I, I can project what it'll look like after two years. I mean, I'll only use it for one year, but I mean, what somebody who who a normal smart person would do and use the phone for at least two years, it's going to look fine. It's not going to look perfect, but yeah. it looks fine. And at a glance, yeah. it still looks nice, black and shiny. Um, but it's the feel of it. The feel is so much greater. The other thing I can happily, you know, going back to the weather, that was my question in September. It was like in September when I first felt it, I was like, this definitely mm, feels better to my touch. Yeah. But September was a warm month for us. Um and so right, my hands, right. you know, had that like, you know, it was warm hands. Now that it's freezing yeah. cold, I can say it still feels better. Even with very, very cold hands, it it's not slippery. Total win. I recommend it wholeheartedly. Yeah. It, I mean, it. like I said, it's just so nice to be carrying a phone without a case anymore. And that, that's, that was the only reason I put it uh, on, my, on my five and my six. Yeah. Is I know a lot of people. It, was, like that. it felt slippery. It yeah. really felt slippery. And yeah. I mean, I, I got big hands, right? It's like, and I, you know, <laughs> shit falls out of me really easy. It's like it's for you holding a phone is like a normal person holding like a matchbook. It's easily it just slips, you know. Yeah, the the, the iPad Mini is the right size. <laughs> Uh, let me take a break here and thank our next sponsor. It is longtime friend of the show. What a great company, Squarespace. Start building your website today at squarespace.com. Enter the offer code TALKSHOW. Once again, just TALKSHOW at checkout, and you'll get 10% off. What? Talk you mean there's, they do websites? Yeah, it's great. You just go there, and they can do any type of website you want. It is absolutely amazing. It, it really is more of a software platform than uh, like a hosting service. It's, it's, they do the hosting. So you can go there and register your domain, and they, they're the ones who take care of hosting the server. Um, but it's so much more than that. It's not. It, it, it. It's not worth. You shouldn't think of Squarespace as a web hosting provider that has WYSIWYG stuff. It really is a platform for building websites. Sites look professionally designed regardless of your skill level. No coding required. You can pick through a whole bunch of templates. 
for like a blog, you could host a podcast, you could host a store, you can host a portfolio if you're like an artist or, or uh, a designer. Um, intuitive to easy to use and easy to use tools. But if you want to get in there and modify the code, you can do that too. There's like an, I wouldn't even call it an escape hatch, but you can get out of the WYSIWYG mode and inject your own code if you want. If you're, if that's something you can do, you can definitely do it. Uh, and if you sign up for a year, you get a free domain name. This, this is the easiest and best way to get a website off the ground. One of the all other ways that Squarespace is a great service for the sort of people who listen to this show is if you have somebody else in your life like let's say like a school, maybe you're a parent and you're involved with the school or uh, a church or at some other community group and they need a website and you're sort of the technically minded person who's involved with the group or whatever. Squarespace is a great way to get somebody like that, to get them a site at a low price on a monthly basis and have it in a way where once you've got this for them and you can hand it over, you don't ever get your phone never rings with, we need to update this. We need to change this. It can all just happen by the people who are involved. You, you can just wash your hands of it and they'll thank you so much because they've got this website that they love. Um, it's a really, really great thing to keep in your mind for anybody else, any other organization in your life that needs a website. So you can get a free trial and get your site off the ground and see what it looks like at squarespace.com. And when you decide to sign up and start paying, just remember that offer code TALKSHOW and you get 10% off your first purchase, Squarespace. i got a question for you. About you can ask me anything, Craig. Could, could they make, during Fireball, a, uh, a responsive web design? Uh, well, I could make during Fireball a responsive website. I do think all of Squarespace's default templates are... Yeah, I bring that up because that's an important thing these days. And I know, I know, I know, that's a cheap shot, but... No, it's not. It's overdue. It's overdue by years. And it's it's it. the fact that it's overdue by years is it only contributes to the inertia of, of not updating it. Uh, part of it's your fault, really, as much as anybody. Oh, yeah, I'm because sure. Because back in 2007, uh, when oh, the iPhone right. yeah, yeah, first yeah, launched... Yeah, yeah. You gave me the meta tag that made Daring Fireball. I've had to update that since because the way those meta tags have worked for the viewport size. Yeah. Uh, like the, the curse of Daring Fireball's existing design is that it's one double tap away from being right. pretty good. Yeah, that's and right. In large part, I, I would say at least 85% maybe at least probably around 85 percent of what it would look like if it were responsive just by double tapping the column yep uh but the, the, yeah, fact, the, know, the thing that bugs me the most is when i tap on the quoted part and then the the text around it right falls out off the right. edges and it's like ah. so but yeah you, you you're you're close and i yeah i do remember that uh that made a tag yeah, it's your fault Right. If Daring Fireball had looked a completely unreal... Do we want to give everybody my email had- address so they can pitch to me? Now? No. I Well, I, but that's the thing. It, that it's it's uh, For a non-responsive site, it's about as good as it could get. You know, so I don't, you know, people complain and people, and when it becomes responsive and it will, uh, I'm sure people will be, thank you. This is great. Um, I'll, you know, but who knows? I'll probably get just as many complaints because the fonts will change at the same time. Uh, but 
it'll happen, but it's it's the fact that it's in my opinion pretty darn good as is is makes it easy to say, well, this is it's never quite rises up to the here's how I should spend the next two weeks. You know, I got a got a question for you. Somebody who used to have a website had a dark background with light text, um, and somebody who got older. Are you having trouble reading the site these days with the the light text on a dark background? No, I still find that the color scheme on Daring Fireball is, from my eyes at least, is is more readable than the opposite. Yeah, it's because uh, it's it, not super high contrast. Exactly, because it's not yeah, black. Yeah, that's. I think that's the thing. I mean, the Icon Factor used to be like black, black with white and you know orange hyperlinks, and it was when we retired that site. It was like oh. Thank God, because you know the, the, the contrast was killing me. It's like I I was in my forties, and it's like my eyesight started to deteriorate. And it's like, oh, what do we do here? It's, you know, it's, I see. I, in fact, I see a lot of design that's by designers who are in their twenties or early thirties and have great eyesight and make decisions based upon that, and don't realize that you know a large portion of their audience is. Not got their good eyesight. The uh, curse of it is that I still I love my my taste in graphic design runs towards uh, very small print and on not even really online. Online, it's always been frustrating for me because I couldn't make it small enough. Like I, that's one of the things I missed from print design is I loved putting truly tiny type into designs inappropriate, like little in jokes or you know footnotes and stuff like that. Um, but you know, at this point, I you know, at a very young age, I've I've got the presbyopia where it, it's really really hard for me to read it. Well, you've also got the display preference too. That I right. How, how many people actually scroll down to the bottom and see display preferences I don't know. there? Uh, very few. So anybody who doesn't know, if you do think that the type on Daring Fireball is too small, if you go to daringfireball.net/prefs, you don't don't even hunt for the link, but it's at the bottom of the page. It says display preferences and. Actually, I think there's, it's down to one preference. <laughs> there used to be more. Yeah, it's like font size, save. <laughs> yeah. Can I tell you a story? I, 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 there used to be a thing in here for uh, – this is totally off, uh, off topic, but I, it's interesting to me. And maybe people who – I haven't wanted to write about it, but if I talk about it, maybe I can get this fixed. I don't know. Uh, there used to be a preference in here where you could set your Amazon country. And I had a script so that whenever I linked to an Amazon product, it would, based on that preference setting, put a link in with my Amazon affiliate code for that country. I think there were only three. I think the only, I didn't bother going all the way around the world, but I took like the top three countries for Daring Fireball readers, which are um, the US, Canada, and the UK. Uh, very few people ever did it for the UK, but I, at one point, Early on, as when Daring Fireball went, when I went full time with it, the Amazon revenue was, it was it, it, one of the, it was like a multi. It's good. It was it's good sig- money. Yeah, it's it's right. It was never ever anywhere close to something I depended on. But it was you know a little bit. It was a little bit here, a little bit there, a little bit there, and you know it, it contributed to. It's keeping not. It's the, not paying your rent, but it's, it'll pay for a couple right. of good dinners every month. Yeah. Right, and the. The importance of that revenue as a percentage of Daring Fireball's overall revenue slipped every year. And I also started feeling in recent years 
very recent years that it was maybe not a great idea for me to put Amazon links in there because Amazon has become more of a company that I write about uh, editorially. Mm. Like I don't do conflict of interest I, I, kind I of thing. Yeah. Right. It just, you know, not in a big way, you know, but in a little way, you know, yeah. like maybe it's just a little better if, if I don't. And I, I also thought this way when I link, I, so for years now, I've just linked to Amazon without my code. Usually, every once in a while, I think, ah, what the hell, put it in. But I, whenever I put it in, I always feel like I should say, and at, sometimes I have said, that's a promotional, you know, put in parentheses, that's a promotional link, and I'll get a few percent of whatever it is that you buy if you click it. Um, but I haven't. I, I just, I've just gotten away from it. And my Amazon affiliate revenue used to be maybe, you know, like $1,000 a month. And sometimes, so maybe around Christmas, like, it would be like, you know, like, I, I think, I think the most it ever was is maybe like three or four thousand dollars in a month for December because I would put like a, hey, here's a couple of top selling holiday items, and if you click any of these links, you'll you'll. This was maybe like ten years ago, eight, right. eight, nine, ten years ago. Uh, anyway, long story short, about two months ago, I got a note from Amazon, an email that said that I violated their clause by telling people to click on a link. Oh, and and they've terminated my account it was and i searched there were no other i never got a warning i didn't ignore i i mean because this is very common for me i have so many unread emails it was one shot and done i'm out of the amazon affiliate program yep they they one shot and done they want to avoid clickbaiting right it's like well but but when did i thought well when the hell did i ever do that and i found one article that was back in like 2004 maybe when I first started using Amazon affiliates, and that what I did there was technically against, and I guess against what they're saying I did, but it was a 2004 article and not one that's like an evergreen, uh, very popular article that that people keep linking linking on. And I'm sure that somehow they ran some automated tool that uncovered that article, but it was 12 years old. Or somebody didn't like something you said, and they went looking for something. Maybe, but I don't think so. Uh, yeah. Amazon doesn't strike me. You never uh, yeah, know, though. Yeah, you never know. But it's it's, it's but they good. could have it's also looked at my rely on it, right? It's it's also right. it's, it's great, you know, that you don't, you know, you've got your sponsors, and that pays for your writing, and that's awesome. Right, you're in an awesome uh, but position. They could have looked and seen that, and I would say for the last year or so, I've had maybe like a hundred to two hundred dollars a month in revenue from Amazon affiliate. So it's cutting off a very small portion of it but i thought that the what did no they, so warning, they, they, they didn't cut off everything they only cut off a portion no they cut off every they did my my uh, uh, you know you, amazon affiliates tag no longer works okay okay that makes sense that's yeah. it it yeah. was completely out yeah it's it's the equivalent of one you know like having like the apple equivalent of you know like what they did to the dash developer you know you're out Yep. you're done with but no warning, I, and 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 they even I think the email even said there's no you know there is no there is no recourse you know there's no you know there was nothing like if you would like to uh, you know uh, no uh, appeal no dispute nothing. this yeah right <laughs> you're out and then it ended with like have a nice day I swear <laughs> to God <laughs> hope you have sponsors. Thank you. <laughs> right. So if there's anybody at Amazon who's listening to the show who thinks that's kind of fishy, you know, write to me at Daring Fireball and I would love to have a communication about it. Not so much that I even care and want to put it back on, but 
I'd love to know more about what happened with this because it's to me very curious. And you know, it, it seems like these things get publicized a lot when Apple does it to people. And I've never seen anybody complain about this with Amazon before. But there are other sites that are completely and utterly dependent upon their Amazon affiliate revenue. I mean, it's pretty much the secret to like the wire cutter and and their business model. Yep. Uh, yep. Kotki is another case where you know you yeah. does a the gift recommendations and you, you yeah. know every one of those is going to come up with the the oscill- yeah. his old oscillate domain you know it's like you see that and it's like okay good right. Jason making some money there awesome um, I don't know I thought that was kind of odd do you see this thing uh, moving on do you see this uh, story about the Uber self driving car that ran a red light in San Francisco <laughs> yeah, that's pretty funny. <laughs> I will put a link in the show notes. One thing that I thought was, wow, that's scary. To the video was shot by like a cab's dashboard cam, uh, and it really did show a, a, a Volvo, an Uber self-driving Volvo with the whole big. It's very obvious because it had the, 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 the self-driving the, rig, the dingus on top. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a real big dingus on top, and it just sails right through a red light like three seconds it, after it went red. And it's pretty close to a pedestrian too, right? You can see the yeah. person that's like, you know, okay, it's. Two or three feet away, but you know, hey, you know, we we've all been crossing the street in a city and have a, a close call and think, well, yeah, the other that could have other, been me. The other thing that could have ended badly, the other, <laughs> right? And the other thing that struck me in terms of that could have been me is that's right at the part of San Francisco where we always go. It's right, like it's, right, it's right, right by right the W, of, exactly, right in front of the museum. <laughs> I think it was <laughs> right, right, right in front of the MoMA, which is right around the corner from Moscone, and is therefore like. I mean, we, for we, those of us who just yeah, we could have been drinking for the last six hours, right? <laughs> Got like, nailed. It's part of that whole South of Market Union Square area where people who go for Moscone-related events, you know, you just tend to become familiar with. It was right there. Like, it's, yeah. I'm not familiar with most of San Francisco, but it's the part of San Francisco I'm intimately familiar with. Yeah, although I was you like, know, holy crap. Although, if you're drinking at the W or the St. Regis or one of those places, you're probably not having that much to drink because the drinks are so expensive. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Here's the thing that struck me. Now, I'll put a link into the show notes with this Bloomberg story. But uh, Uber PR, Uber spokesman Matt Wing said in a statement. Now, hats off to them for at least putting their spokesman's name in the statement, unlike Apple, who almost never puts the spokesperson's name and just attributes to an Apple spokesperson. But anyway, this is the statement. This incident was due to human error. This is why we believe so much in making the road safer by building self-driving Ubers. This vehicle was not part of the pilot and was not carrying customers. The driver involved has been suspended while we continue to investigate. And you think, oh, so it wasn't, you know, like the driver ran the red light. But I think, no, I think this is the worst type of public relations statement possible where i think this was very carefully calibrated word by word where you read it and you think oh so it was a human error it was a human driver who ran the red light uh whereas if you think about it if if it was the self-driving car that ran the red light why the hell driver yeah yeah this is what i think happened i think this car was in self-driving mode i think they were lucky and there was i think they're not lying i think there was no passenger at the moment, because otherwise that would be just a blatant lie, because it said, quote, was not carrying customers. So I think it was empty. 
Um, but I think the self-driving car went right through. And when they say it was human error, what they mean is that the the employee behind the wheel did wasn't paying attention because it was in self-driving mode and didn't manually apply the brake when it was clear that the car was going to sail through the red light. All right. That's what I think happened. I think it was a self-driving error. The self-driving car went right through the red light. There was a pedestrian right in front of it who luckily, you know, seemed to hear the car coming and, you know, waited. Uh, and they're saying it's human error because the human behind the wheel didn't manually apply the brake. Yep. Which would be, I think, would be an excruciatingly hard job. I really do. Be- if, let's say you had to spend six hours in a self-driving car that was 99% oh. accurate... Yeah, and ab- be ready ab- to hit the absolutely. It's like you know those those those, right. those videos that show the uh, the Teslas in their self drive mode. I get so anxious with those, and I can't take my hand or my eyes off of the the, the, the driver's hands that are, that are right. clearly it's- not touching the steering wheel. It's like, oh my god, what's going to happen next? <laughs> right. Like it would be, it's easy to drive a car for six hours and not run a red light or hit anybody because you're driving. But to not be driving. And have everything go fine, maybe for like five days. Maybe you've done it five days in a row and nothing wrong has happened. But to still be at a moment's notice to hit the brakes, yep. I think it, it requires a level of concentration that I know I personally do not have. Now, I also know and, and, and that you you're, probably, maybe, you're probably also monitoring other things about the system, right? Looking at, you know, dials right. and switches right. and, you know, it's like, okay. You could, you could put me behind the wheel of a self-driving car for an hour and I would be... I would be completely paying attention because I would be. It would be like, holy shit, this car is driving itself. I'm terrified. I'm ready to go. Right? I'd have my hands, you know, my fingers twitching, ready to take the wheel. My hand, my foot on the brake, you know, ready to go. Because for like the first hour or so, I'm going to be blown away and amazed and kind of scared. After like you know, twenty hours, thirty hours, it becomes normal. Right? It is very hard to be paying that level of attention to something that. Ninety nine point nine percent of the time, you don't need to be paying attention to. Yeah, it's it's interesting to me that that when you connect this piece of news with some piece of news the from what was it last week, week before about the the actual cost of an Uber trip is like forty or sixty percent more than they actually charge you. Yeah. Um, if you connect those dots, it's like. Uber, you know, anybody who runs a business knows that the cost of your employees is by far your biggest cost. Yeah, it's just that's where all the money goes. So, you know, them saying this is why we believe so much in making the road safer by building self-driving Ubers. That's, <laughs> that's kind of bullshit, right? They believe in building right. self-driving Ubers because it's going to make their business profitable, right? You right. can, you can, you can that. Oh, it costs forty or sixty percent too much well you know you don't have to pay a driver sitting behind the wheel and yeah. all of a sudden the whole economics situation changes and you're making shitloads of money because you know you have a one-time cost for that computer that drives the car you know yeah. your your your, co- your front cost is the co- computer and the car I think there is a, hey, let's save lives and switch to self-driving cars. That is true. There are way, there are millions of people who are killed every year by automobile accidents. And I truly and honestly believe that we will look back on that as and, and, and our societies and my personal acceptance of it. I own a car. I drive uh, as barbarous. Yeah. Like, no, it's, it's hopefully gonna, sooner it's, rather than later. It's hopefully gonna, it'll happen really soon. 
and ten, maybe ten years from now, maybe fifteen, maybe twenty at the most. But I think we'll look back on it, and 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 I think it'll. I think people who are, who who continue to insist on driving their own cars will start to be looked at as people who you know smoke around babies. I really do because I do think that the I think the technology it's clear it's not here yet but it's clearly going to be here where a, a system where all the cars are automated will and they reduce network together yeah they network together and, and and the safety improvements will be dramatic absolutely dramatic but I I think you're exactly right that Uber's <laughs> interest in this is <laughs> yeah uh, very much primarily about the wages they have to pay to a driver well, in every and, car and a bigger issue is our society is not prepared for this change right when you think about okay right. all of our transportation infrastructure is going to become automated i mean compare that to our entire manufacturing infrastructure becoming automated you know robots are well, in, in in production lines yeah. are putting people out of out of work those people that are out of work become disenfranchised. Those people that are disenfranchised yeah. do weird shit at the time when it time to vote. It ties back in <laughs> ties back in with Trumpism, where Trump's story is that a bunch of good jobs all went to China and that we could bring those bad, bad jobs back to China. And it's true that obviously a lot of stuff is made in China or, or other countries in Asia, but I, I, there's a whole bunch of stuff if you read. I mean, and that's true. It's but it's a more complicated story than that. And that I've I've I think it's I think it's arguable, and, and at least some people have made the argument based on facts that more manufacturing jobs in the U.S. have been lost to automation than to um, yep yep. Now and, the and, fact and, that it's like a double whammy, right? And vocational right. training, you know, te teaching yep. people how to work in that new environment is just not there. Right? That's what right. I'm saying. So, you know, society isn't ready for it. You know, and, and you know, all these truck drivers that you know that that haul all our, yeah. our shit cross country. Yeah. Uh, what are they going to? There's do? an awful lot of an awful lot of people. Let's face it, mostly men, but an, you know, certainly a lot more women than there used to be who are truck drivers. But truck driving is is a large, a very very common profession. Uh, and it is, I think, going to be one of the first that goes away in the world of autonomous vehicles. Yep. Uh, yep. And, and, and what happens and it'll then? Be, and it will, it'll be better for all of us, right? It's a, you know, you think of it, it when these vehicles are networked together, right? They know a lot more about each other than we do, right? You don't know yep. what the intentions of the person driving in front of you is. If that's a computer in front of you, you can share your GPS coordinates, where your destination is, where you've been, oh, so how much things. gas you've got. You know, there's all sorts of data that can be exchanged between these between these devices. It's like, you know, well, it's, like I, it's a network huge, computers huge. are way more interesting than a single laptop sitting on your desktop. Right. A huge source of car accidents, I think often non-fatal ones, thankfully, you know, ones, but, but you know, for all the fate of, obviously the fatalities are the worst thing. Worst. I mean, just, you know, I don't have to yeah. no, emphasize that's... why, but the, the minor ones, the fender benders on a freeway that maybe nobody's hurt at all, but can, you know, cause you to be an hour and a half late for work. Yeah. Uh, are, you know, simply a matter of, of you, paying right? attention. It ruins your day. And when I think you're they're the <laughs> they're the ones that are be the easiest. They're the ones that'll be the easiest to avoid when every car involved is is uh, is autonomous. Yeah. Well, you've you've seen those those videos of you know the wave propagation, right? One person taps on yes, their yes. on their on their yep. their brakes. Somebody sees the red yep. lights, they tap on theirs. So on and so on and so on. And it, you know that wave propagates to the point where the wave stops. Yep. Yep. Right. 
And, and you know, it's all happened to all of us. It's like, you know, why am I stopped on the freeway, right? Oh, there's got to be some accident up ahead of us. You know, five minutes later, you know, you're looking for this accident and it's not there, right? So, you know, eliminate yeah. that and everybody's life gets a little easier except for the people that get paid to drive. Yeah. So there's a sci-fi – everybody knows the sci-fi future. The sci-fi future is very few people have to work and we have robots. You know, it's a life of leisure for everybody and, you know, robot – you know, it's the uh, the people who live on the ship in uh, Wally, right? Mm-hmm. Just, you know, lounge about the, the, you know, the pool deck all day long. Uh, and robots bring you your food and, and you don't – nobody has to work. Uh, Kill me there's now. There's a <laughs> – <laughs> right, but there's there is a very painful period between here and there because here it's expected that to be a successful person you're gainfully and fully employed at a you know at a, at a as high a wage as possible. So, I don't know. Problems coming. Uh let me take one last break here and and then afterwards we have a great thing to talk about your book. Uh but let me tell you right now about our third and final sponsor our good friends at Backblaze. Backblaze offers unlimited native backup for your Mac and PC. No credit card required to sign up. No risk. 15-day free trial. Just go to backblaze.com slash daringfireball. Not the talk show, not talk show. Daring Fireball. They just use that same code whether they're on the site or whether they're here on the uh, the podcast. Uh, you install it. It's a great native system prep panel. Runs on your Mac. It's written by former Apple engineers. It uh, doesn't mess up your system or gum it up or any way. It's not like some kind of gross thing. You know, like running something that runs in the background and does something, it's, it gives you the heebie-jeebies. Backblaze runs, and it backs up everything, everything you want backed up. If you have an external hard drive and it's like a big, like, four-terabyte external hard drive, you think, well, I got to pay extra for that. No. It'll back it up. The only hitch, the only thing where it's like, well, that sounds too good to be true. The only hitch is that the more data you have, the more external drives, the longer it takes for that initial backup to get everything up there. They can't beat bandwidth. Whatever your upstream is from your computer to the cloud, that's how much can get backed up at a time. Uh, So it might take a while for that initial backup. But then after that, everything gets backed up incrementally. Uh, They have iPhone apps. Android apps, a website where you can access your backup. So if you're out and about and you're on your iPhone and you need like one file uh, just to send somebody, you can use the Backblaze app, log in, get that file, email it off or send it by text message or whatever. Uh, Catastrophe strikes, something happens, uh, roof leaks, water gets all over your computer, shorts it out, something like that, Uh, uh, something terrible. You need to restore everything. You can get them to, to put everything you have on a hard drive and have it overnighted to you by FedEx. And if you want, when they do that, uh, you can restore it, put it on your own hard drive, and then you, you can send that hard drive, you know, erase it, send it back to, uh, to Backblaze, uh, and they'll give you your money back for the drive. You'll just pay for the shipping or whatever. It's, it's a great service. If you need a full restoration, if you just need one file, They've restored over 10 billion files for their customers. No gimmicks, no additional charges. Here's what it costs, $5 a month per computer for unlimited, unthrottled, offsite backup. Here's why I am so happy to do that, do this, read this show. Go home for the holidays and give your parents, give them a real present. 
give him a present. Give him, give your dad a, uh, the shaving kit from Harry's or whatever. But while you're there at their house, just sign them up for Backblaze. Don't give it to them as a gift because backup, it doesn't sound like a good gift. Just do it, though. Just go to your parents' house or wherever else you go, anybody else who's in your extended family when you're home for the holidays. Sign them up for Backblaze. Put it on your own credit card and just know that you've done them a great favor for just five bucks a month. Yep, what a great that, thing to do for your parents. That that and it'll five, be peace of five, mind for you. That five bucks is cheap as soon as you lose your data. And you know, everybody As soon as your mom your God. mom calls you up Where'd in the, the middle of July and, <laughs> Right and says this says that there's a kernel panic and whatever and the thing doesn't start up or whatever, you just you just think, you know what? How great is this? I know that I you know you, all of her stuff, all your mom's stuff, your dad's stuff is backed up. Just do it for him. What a great feeling it would be if you did that. So go do that over the holidays when you see him. Go to backblaze.com slash Daring Fireball to find out more uh, and you'll support the show. All right, Craig, here we go. Making Sense of Color Management. Yeah. It's an $8 book from a book apart. How long did it take you to write? Like Two years. It started in November 2014. And, you know, you blame me for the the uh, non-responsive during fireball. I blame the Safari engineers for for this whole thing happening. Um, they it was Mountain Lion was the release at the time, and all of a sudden the colors in Safari were subtly different than the ones in Chrome. I was like, "What the heck is going on here?" And you know, it, we have that product Xscope, which has you know lets you do all sorts of screen measurements and stuff. Um, a lot of designers, a lot of developers use it to to has help with their loop. work. Xscope has yeah, a Xscope yeah. has an on-screen loop that you can. It's a little window you can drag over another window, and then you can have it zoom in on that window and show you what's underneath. And it could be like at the time, I think you're, what you're saying is you could drag it over to Safari, and it you'd see this one color in Safari, and then you'd look at it in Xscope, and it would be like a slightly color shifted. Color. Yeah, you know, and 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 you expect it to be, you know, hash. You know, C zero zero, and it's like hash C three six. I'm like, what the heck is going on here? And it turns out that they had implemented color management for their CSS colors, and that was like, oh, okay, I've got to fix this bug. <laughs> and that was the start of my learning about color management. And as I learned about it, it was like, I should write this down. You know, maybe make a good blog post and. It's one of those topics that the more you learn about it, the more you know what you don't know. And there got to be like 10,000 words in my blog post. And I was like, eh, this is not a blog post anymore. So I got in contact with uh, Jeffrey Zeldman and some other people at A Book Apart. And they were like, yeah, we'd love to publish this. And now, it's it, only, what is it, about 75 pages? Yeah, it, I mean, that was the hard part, right? He's <laughs> taking this right. really complex topic and distilling it. And, I mean, I, my editor at, at A Book Apart was Tina Lee. It was just awesome because, you know, she would challenge me. It's like, you know, this is too long, right? I don't understand what you're saying hmm. here. Hmm. And I really had to, you know, I, I probably wrote the book in its entirety three different times. Um, I, I, in fact, I, I, we were pretty close to being done, and Apple announced color management in iOS 10. It's <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> oh, wait, we're not done. <laughs> so, you know, basically two chapters, you know, the chapter on, on 
web browsers because Safari on iOS changed significantly in that release. And the chapter on uh, mobile apps yeah. was completely rewritten. And, and sample code and all the stuff that goes along with it was like, oh, okay. But I think it, it came well, out really well in the it, end. It, it affects anybody who makes anything for the screen. Honestly, I, I mean this yeah. sincerely. I'm not just trying yeah. to sell copies of the book, but whether you're a designer, a graphic designer who makes assets for, you know, graphical assets for apps and websites, or if you're a front end developer on the web who's making stuff for, for you know, HTML, CSS, you know, web development, uh, or if you are a, an app developer for native apps for Mac or iOS, uh, this book is for you and and not in no way at, at one of the things one of the things that i love about the book is at no point to me does it is it is it all that clear who the main audience is for it's balanced it's not like oh it's a book for programmers but if you're a designer you can still get something out of it or the other way it's it's a book for designers but you should read it if you're a programmer because you you need to understand this stuff yeah, it's we, we, it we, is perfectly we, balanced from all those perspectives. I'll tell you a little story. We struggled with the title because you know it, initially we were going to call hmm. it Color Management for Developers, and then it was like, no, because it's for designers too. And then it's like, oh, working with color is kind of like too vague. And um, Jason Santa Maria came up with making sense of color management. It was like it just clicked, right? Because it's like that's what hmm. it's all about, right? We're trying to take this black, dark art that everybody's kind of mm. fiddled with some knobs and kind of maybe got something working, but doesn't really understand what's going on. It's, and you know, the, you know, when you read the book, you realize that the making sense also applies to our visual sense, right? There's a lot of, mm. but the, the fact, the core of color management is really a, a mathematical modeling of how our eye works, which right. to me is, is which is explained really well in the book. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really well. So that was that, that was my aha moment. It's like, oh wait, we've got all these devices that have different color profiles, different way of characterizing color, and they all kind of they're a little different. But then we got this thing called an eye, which doesn't change. It doesn't, you know. It, yes, it changed over you know millions of years due to evolution, but you know, and it. it, it at its core, I mean, that is the thing that's the, that doesn't change. So, it's you know, color management all revolves around that sense of vision. So, And in terms of being well-timed, in terms of where we are as an industry, you're right, web browsers, Safari leading the way has yeah. color management well, in a browser. You know, and, and the reason they did that is clear now, right? It's like they needed right. color management because they knew that they were coming out with these new displays, which have a wider right. gamut. And that's the other... The other shoe that's dropping is the display technology. It's starting with the iMac 5K last year, yep, which was their first product with the what do they call it? A deep color gamut it's or a, wide the, color? The, wide color, yeah. It did right. This gets into the argument that you've had with our our mutual friend Gus Mueller, yeah, who yeah. technically uh, edit, edited your book. Gus prefers deep, deep. color. Yeah, it, right. it, it it he's he's right. Tech, it's technically it's deeper. You've got, you know, 16 pixels or 16 bits instead of 8. So yes, it's a it's a deeper pixel, but um that only talks about the pixel. And I think the reason why Apple has started calling it wide colors is not only talking about the actual pixels, but it's also talking about the gamut, which is the thing that that, you know, these displays can display more color. And 
it's it's not and like I, something, it's I, not like retina right retina you looked at the display and it was immediately right. obvious it, it, right. the the thing that i'm hearing in fact my wife got one of these new uh 4k lg displays for her new uh uh macbook pro and it was like the first thing she said to me was like wow this display looks great Right, <laughs> Horace Horace Dedu said the same thing about the the uh, the iPad Pro, the nine point seven inch iPad Pro, the first yeah. uh, iOS device that had a uh, uh, wide color display. There's something striking about the display. I don't know what it is, but it's just it looks great. It's and the 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 way that I explain it to people is like the you know if you'd only ever had a bass speaker, right? You've mm. only ever listened to music on you know a bass speaker. And then somebody gave you a tweeter, you would be like, "Wow, this sounds a lot better." You know, you basically you're getting more detail, right? You're, you 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 become accustomed to something, and that's what Retina was. Retina gave us more pixels; people picked up it on it immediately. But then right. you start talking about a, a a wider range of tonal values, and it's a lot harder to ex- express that. You know, it's like you know, you yeah. give more dynamic range in your music. And it's like it sounds better, but you don't really know why. Yeah, and I don't think it's any. I don't think there's any trick to which which came first. Retina resolution is far more important. I would, yeah. you know, I, oh, yeah. I think everybody yeah. would agree. I'd no. rather have a retina resolution without the deep gamut than to have a deep gamut display, but the old pre-retina resolution. It's not even right. close. Right, but retina the- is more important. It's more noticeable. But the next step is clearly increasing the number of colors. That's why I think Apple goes with wide because I think they're describing it from the user's perspective. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it it, it gives you a wider vision of 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 uh of your of your life. And you know, the the, the fact that the uh the iPhone cameras now are shooting in display P3, you know, there's going to be a lot more of these wide gamut images floating around um you know, the yes. internet, right? It, well, there already like, are, it, right? It, Every it, photo that's taken with an iPhone 7 already it, it's, is. Exactly. Yeah, and, and, and you know, yeah. the, we actually, uh, um, the, the guys at Instagram, um, Mike Krieger and, and the, the crew there, I, I gave an early version of, of the book because I knew, you know, they're going to have this problem, you know, the, you know, you kind of, Apple loves to have, apps on stage when they announced something new. It's pretty obvious to me that the, the display P3 right. screens and cameras were coming to the next iPhone, connect the dots, okay, and I'll give them a copy of the book. And, and it really helped them, right? It's when the iPad Pro me. got it, the, yeah, when I, the iPad Pro got the wide color gamut with the, in the 9.7 form factor in March, it, I thought it was a sure thing that the iPhone would yeah, get it. me too. And, it, and, and that so, explained, you know, the, again, back to you know mountain lion, the guys in Safari changing the way things work subtly. It all kind right. of fell into place that okay, this is not just a Mac thing. This is an iOS thing. Right. This is you know it turns out that the Touch Bar on the new MacBook Pros is a Display P3 gamut. <laughs> on an o- really? on, yeah on, on an OLED. <laughs> I did not know that. Yeah, so it, it's going to be everywhere and and. And I did as not devel- know that. And, That's and as, great. And as developers who are just thinking that that uh, that uh, a pixel is you know eight bits of red, eight bits of green, eight bits of blue, you're in for some surprises when that's no longer just eight bits. Number one and number two, it's characterized by a, an ICC 
color profile. Right. It, you're, you, that's and that's the the thing that I uh, uh, I'm describing in the book. Yeah, and, it, and, and the it, challenge for people working today, it it it'll. I'm not going to say it'll be easier, but in a way it would be. Like, let's fast forward 10 years, and I think we can probably guess that 10 years from now, almost all commonly used devices will have the wide color displays. Oh, and, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it, it, and, it's, a, it's a competitive advantage for Apple right now, right? Right. They, yes. they and are, it, they're ahead of the game, right? Like, they were the head of right. the game with Retina, right? They're ahead of the game yeah, with a, a lot of technologies. This, this looks better is a is a compelling competitive advantage in almost every single field. Uh, there's almost no market where this looks better than the competition is not even uh, seriously, I'm not even being a, a jerk, but even like if you're selling produce, if you have fresh fruit that looks better than the store across the street, it's better. It, it's a competitive advantage. Yeah. Um, that's one of the things that so, pissed me. Yeah. yeah, that's one of the things that pissed me off about the the Google Pixel comparisons with the iPhone. All the comparisons I looked at were in the sRGB color space. They had to right. actually take the photo that came off of the iPhone and crapify it to compare it on their you know, their web page, right? They they We didn't, talked they about didn't. this and there were some of these some of these competitions or you know like hey, let's compare the Google Pixel to the iPhone 7 in photos. It looks like whatever they did to reduce the color gamut and some of the cases it it really washed them out. I mean, because yep. it's there's different yep. ways to do it. There is no easy way to just say, take this image that was shot with the wide color gamut and just do the one true way to show it on a on a right. pre you know or, display. Or it seemed you, like some of them converted it in a way that really washed it out. Yeah. Or you can if you then decide to, okay, I'm gonna just ignore the color profile, you've got a different right. problem, right? You've got colors shifting. So it's either going to wash right. out or it's going to shift. So you really – and, and that's why web developers need to start understanding this stuff, right? If you're going to present this good, high-quality photography on your web page or in your mobile app or wherever, you need to understand what you're dealing with. And Well, here – this, that, this yeah. is why I love the book. I love the book, and I, 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 you were kind enough to ask me to write the foreword for it, uh, and I did. And I hope it turned out all right. But uh, no, it was I great. I wrote I, the foreword. I'm very happy you did that. The, that made me the nut very of the happy. foreword. The nut of it is that what makes the book great is that you don't just say, "Here's what to do to make your stuff look right." You explain why. Right. If you do this, this is why it will look right on all of the displays you're targeting whereby right is the best it could possibly look according to your intentions as the designer or the photographer or whatever it is that you're displaying. Here's why. Here's what to do and why. And understanding it, it makes it so much easier to remember it. And it's also more satisfying because that's to me it, it, the voodoo of before. And, and like the eye-opener for me was that it, for me, there was something that was completely opposite of what I expected is that sometimes in some cases you're actually better off. You, the right thing to do is not to embed a color profile. Right. 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 Yeah. I've always done that. And then it, it, things don't look right. My, my daring fireball, you know, 5A, 25A. Uh, it doesn't quite look right. It's like all of a sudden the background, why, why? And then I start flipping switches and then all of a sudden I've got a ver exported ping that looks right here and there. Okay. It, it's, I'm happy because now I've got this asset that looks at, it, to my eyes right on both Chrome and Safari. But because I don't know why, it, 
it, it's like I lose a little sleep at night. Yeah. Right. And then, and then you go look at it on an iPad or an Android device and it's wrong. It's like that. That's, yeah. the, that's the classic one. It's like, Oh, wow. How did so, that happen? Well, the, so the other thing that to, I, that I really love about this book and I think it really shows, and you even spoke about working with your editor is that it, it clearly a lot of work went into what's there, but then a lot of work went into taking out what's not there. And yep. there was an old adage in the print days, and I know a lot of people buy their books now as ebooks, and and for computer books in particular, that's true. Um, but in the print days, there was a, a, a real problem, and, and people who, or at least in tech books, which was that. Uh, and this is true. I mean, I've spoken to uh, I, I one time I met, I met Tim O'Reilly and even spoke to him about it. But that they knew based on 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 sales that based on topics, what people would do is they'd go into the bookstore and they they knew they wanted to get a book on SQL and they did. There's twelve of them, so they would just buy the thickest one because they would think, well, they're all forty dollars. I'll just get this one that's thicker and figure it's got more. God, and there's a real I, correlation. I hated those books that had you know just reams and reams of source code in the book it's like oh yeah. and you know they there, were doing it just to pad it out just there was want, there was a, it really, to be heavier. <laughs> a really strong provable correlation between best-selling books by topic and best topics by length the the longer thicker books by topic were tended to be the best sellers and that didn't make them the best books sometimes the best book is is shorter sometimes there you know there are some great books some great technical books that are really thick you know the the programming pearl is one that I go to all the time. Yeah. Larry Donald, Wall and, and Donald Christensen. Donald Muth, right? And, you know, the art of computer yeah. programming. That, that, right. that can't be a short book, right? Well, it takes, up a, it takes up a whole shelf, right? That's great. But there are other books that really should be, you know, the fact that this is 70 pages is because there's or 75, whatever it is. It's There's 75 pages to say about it, and that's the 75 pages that are in the book. And it, yep. it really shows. It's like building a Eight product. Bucks. What it's, a deal. It's like building a product, right? You the, yeah. you the the parts you take away are the hardest and most important. It's... Craig, you should be really proud of this book. Anybody out there listening, if you have any sort of job that entails putting pixels onto screens and you want them to look right, I highly recommend this book. I really do mean it. I, I mean it from the bottom of my heart. I, I don't know that I've ever even written a foreword to a book before. Yeah, uh, But I did I... it not because you're my pal, but because the book is good. I don't, frankly, I don't really like you that much. Oh, yeah. Well, I buy you drinks every once in a while, so, you know, that's <laughs> – there's that. A book apart, products, hey, you know, making I'll, I'll, I'll sense say, of you color know, management. This, 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 you know, don't just check, check out my book. The, the, the whole A Book Apart family that's true. is great. They're, it's actually I mean, very I true. I mean, the, 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 they've, got a, they've, they've got that notion of shorter is better. And, mm -hmm. you know, if you're looking about anything about re responsive web design, for example, hint, hint, you know, they've got yeah. an awesome book on it. You know, and it's, it's, as somebody who is personally, uh, who does judge books by <laughs> covers, I, I judge them by the contents too, but that whole thing, you can't judge a book by the cover. It's a bunch of bullshit. Yep. In my opinion, better books tend to look better. Their books are gorgeous thanks to uh, Jason. our friend Jason Santa Maria yeah. and their other yep. design. I know he's the, the head designer there, but uh, boy, he's, he's good with typography. And their books also are first-class print books. I know your book is an ebook only, but the, the, they're, they're a publisher that treats their ebooks every bit as lovingly in every regard as they do their, their print books. It's, 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 you know, when Jason showed me the, the first comp for the book, I was like, that, this is, 
this is this is a real thing now and yeah got me really excited just just by looking at that cover right it was just was it, it hard here's my technical question was it hard oh the cover is gorgeous uh, uh especially the bottom left corner where it says forward by john gruber i love that well anyway thank you very much for your time for being on the show thank you even more for writing this excellent book everybody should go get a copy it is absolutely terrific uh, I want to thank our sponsors, Harry's, get, get a shaving kit, Squarespace, build your own website, Backblaze, back up your computer, and back up, back up your family members, too. Get it for them. Thank you, Craig.